Hello, everyone. This is Jared Director, President of Columbia Omnicorp and Columbia Omni Studio. Welcome to Columbia Omni Live. This is where we will bring you the latest insider look into the fashion and color industry while we all reimagine this new world we live in. Enjoy this episode and don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date with future episodes. Also, give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to see what creative projects we are helping our customers with. Thank you very much and stay safe. So welcome. And uh, this is uh, just a chat, an interview with uh, a very highly respected industry expert. Uh, he would probably uh, um, blush, but um, we're going to call him that anyway. But um, I'm Mitch Cole. I'm with uh, Columbia Omni. And um, Andrew Frazier is the Global Quality um, Director of InMotion, which is a very nice sized um, swimwear company. And Andrew's been around the industry for a long time. He's been one of the, um, really the founders of, of digital color and um, has given many talks at the AATCC uh, seminars where, where I've heard him. And uh, we'll just get right into it. So, uh, look, things are different now. Everybody is, uh, is working from home. Are, are you working from home also, Andrew? I, I am since about March twentieth. Yeah, that's that's when it, that's when it hit. That's when um, and and how how do you do color management from home? How does that work for you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't have a spectrophotometer. You you know what do you what do you do? I, I don't have a spectro. Um, so I was in quarantine for ten days. Um, I went to. I'd been in New York for a couple of weeks in February and then ended up going to Greenville for the uh, international convention. And as I was leaving South Carolina, I went up to North Carolina to visit my mother. And that's when everything broke. That's when, you know, everything kind of started getting locked down. Um, I got tested the, the Monday I got back and it was supposed to be a two day quarantine and get my results and ended up being 10 days. Yeah. So once I was sprung, um, I went into the office with masking gloves on a Saturday. Nobody was there. And I basically moved my office from our local Bentonville office into my dining room um, and uh, took the light box and put it in my bedroom because that was the darkest place. In <laughs> so I, I am operating with a set of color standards and a, a Spectralite QC light box. So you can get by with a with a, a uh, with a light box, but not without it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, are you receiving Are you receiving uh, submits from your vendors? Yeah. So so basically, once I once I set up my office here, the the message went out that our New York office was closed and and all packages should come to me. So every day at 9.45, um, when FedEx rings the doorbell and my Yorkshire Terrier goes crazy, um, <laughs> I go outside with gloves on and pull the packages into the garage, either spray them down with Lysol or wipe them down with disinfectant wipes, um, cut, off, yeah. cut off the outer packaging, and 
again, disinfect everything. And basically I let it sit for 24 hours. If there, if there are things that are urgent that have to go out that day, then even when I'm assessing them, I keep gloves on. Um, but we do that. And then because the majority of what I do is dealing with the large retailer based here, um, we have to submit through consumer testing laboratories, uh, UL for color, uh, approval. So it's assessing, it's writing comments, it's doing all the paperwork, mounting the submits, and then driving them down to the, to the testing lab so that they can get logged in before 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. So many, many so it hats. Sounds like, yeah, sounds like you're doing what your staff used to do. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah. the interesting thing is, you know, I didn't, I didn't really engage with a lot of the other departments uh, in the company. So that's been a, a, an awakening for me in that a lot of the things that they were doing were internal approvals or they were doing for different brands or whatever. So I've, I've gotten to see that. So from a, uh, an aha moment, uh, there are a lot of things that we need to, we need to make better. <laughs> so the, the question I have is, is that, you know, clearly all color managers are doing this, you know, doing their jobs differently. Has, has the quality suffered? Has, has color quality suffered or are we letting more things go because, because of circumstances? Uh, I would say from the submits that I've seen uh, through the mills that I know and I've been to and I've worked with for the last years to the ones that I've never worked with, I can see a, a degradation in the quality of submits that I'm receiving. Um, things that things that never would have sent, been sent to me before are being sent, and I think I think a lot of that has to do with. Um, I don't believe the mills are up and running 100. percent I don't think all the workers came back yet, and I think the technically skilled workers didn't come back. So the people in the color matching laboratory, the dye the dye matching laboratory. Um, the people that are that are doing these strikeoffs for us, based upon what I've seen, Mitch, I would say that that's half of the issue. And I think the other the other issue is the fact that not so much today, but three, four, five weeks ago, a package that normally took twenty four hours to reach here from China was taking six, seven, eight days. So I think with the long delay in getting the submits here and then, you know, having to make comments that, that no, it's not good enough. You have to do it again. People, people were just sending stuff that they got because it was taking so long for them to get submits to them. Huh. That's interesting. We see it ourselves just in the store in New York that um, FedEx is hard to get. And, you know, it, um, they're, they're putting all their resources to uh, consumers because everybody's ordering from Amazon and getting things in, in the house. And uh, it's tough, but it's getting better, but it's, it, it has been tough. Um, so, you know, when, when I see um, a crisis like, like the pandemic we're in and, and, the, um, and 
where we were in 2008 with the financial crisis. I saw after that that people got used to having just a lot less staff and they and they got used to it and stuck to it. You know, it changed it changed the way people did business. And I'm wondering if that's going to happen um, in our business um, now. Are people just going to get used to either less people or they're going to get used to working from home? Will be okay? Will offices be, um, will, you know, companies be a little decentralized? Um, do you see any of that? I do. Um, I think for those that can work from home, they're going to they're going to remain, remain working from home. I think that there's. Uh, um, I know in my case, I get a lot more done in a day working from home than than I did going to the office just because I've got so much to do and I've got to get it done in a certain time frame. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got two adult children that are working from home and their efficiency is has improved immensely uh, just because of the communication factor. When you think about um, making a phone call to get in touch with somebody so that, that you can continue on your project or whatever. And they may look at the phone and go, oh, I can't deal with that right now. And, and what I am seeing uh, from their input as well as my own, it's you schedule a Zoom call and that person's going to be on the other end and they're more, they're more open to being available. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, you know, they don't get caught in traffic. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I think that is true. I think that's true. Um, you know, one thing that you know I see a lot of when in the store is that um, you know there's a lot of small, medium-sized companies that are looking. You know, how do how do they get better at at um, at color? Um, you know, I hear the craziest stories of, of what people are proving and, and all that. I'm sure you've heard them over the years too, but that being the case, you know, I wonder what are some of the things that you could advise a small or medium sized company uh, to start to improve a hundred percent visual uh, color process to start to get digital. Like what are some of the small steps they could take to get there? Uh, use free stuff that's out there on the internet. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of companies. As long as you can upload a QTX file, um, you can do a search. Or if if you know you're a designer and you know your the RGB value that you want um, using RGB values, that your um, color color standard providers can can do an RGB match for you and get you, you know, a, a standard that you're looking for. Um, I'm going to say this throughout this interview. The biggest thing that I see that's wrong with retail color today is the fact that uh, people cut stuff up and send it out to the mills. And um, that's not a best practice. It's, it's actually the most horrible thing you can do. So what we try and do yeah. is... In instill in our designers if if you want to to you know take this cutting then let us match it to a standard that that's already existing because that way we get the same good quality standard out to the mills because you don't just have one mill you have a you have 
you know, a knit mill, you have a woven mill, you have an elastic mill, you have, you know, a printer, you have a trim mill. And, and you sending a one-by-one swatch to the regional office, and then they have to cut it into 16 other swatches. I mean, I've seen it. It's a toothpick. Yep. It's the size of a toothpick, and it's about half an inch long. So in my mind, it would be the, the benefit of doing small things that matter um, that you can do free of charge or with very little capital investment. You know, um, I don't have a Spectro um, at the house, but I do have color management software on my laptop. Right. So I have, the, I have the ability to say, send me the QTX file. I can pull it up. I can look at it and I can make an assessment based upon what the numbers look like. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually the thing that I say that they can get started with is some color management software. Uh, they can start looking at that color digitally. Uh, the, the mills will send them a QTX file um, and they can start to get their a handle on, on, on what that, on what that uh, color looks like digitally and, and to start, start there. You know, spectros are very expensive, as we know. So, um, well, and the use of the the small, uh, inexpensive handhelds as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's another option. They're not that expensive, um, and you know, with services like Pantone and the other the other uh, uh, color standard providers, you know, you have the ability to link those into to handhelds. And it kind of gives you gives you a library that you can shoot from. Yep. Yep. I like your example of cutting up a piece of fabric until it's, you know, the size of a pencil. Um, I also have seen, you know, people um, use a standard maybe to start, usually fabric. And then um, when they do have to add mills, as you were saying, they'll, um, they'll use a production standard, which maybe further away from the original standard. And now you're starting to get a, a color creep and you could be off into left field pretty quickly. So, Well, especially if you're doing a repeat color from, from season to season. Right. You know, your shade, your shade band was approved. Well, now this next season, it crept more, you know, red, yellow. And, you know, if you look at, if you plot everything over two or three seasons, you, you, you go to a shotgun effect versus a nice, nice tight cluster. Right, right. So, you know, the other thing is, and, you know, John Darcy said, said this to me years ago, inspect what you expect. So, you know, from a production-minded person, it's all about getting the production out and getting it into the factory so you can sell it and ship your goods. But you also have to make sure that back in the fabric stage, you're reading everything. And, you know, this is a big discussion that, that we have within our company right now. It's do you read lots or do you read rolls? In my opinion, I want rolls read because then I know what my shade band is. I know what shade sort code I can assign to it. And, and I've got the full breadth of what my production looks like. Sure. If you just do lot to lot, you have variation within that lot that that's sure. almost being hidden from you. That's right. That's right. And do you do your shade bands uh, digitally? Uh, we do. Um, the way the way it works, we have to do an electronic lab dip and then send in the physical and do electronic shade band and send in the physicals. 
So it's, you know, there, there are two schools of thought, just use spectro or just use visual. And I think, I think you have to collaborate between the two. You use digital to get you um, close to and verify that your sample is what it needs to be to pass the, your, your brand or your retail spectral requirements. Um, so all those things that I've been getting in for the last three months that look bad, they failed. They, you know, a lot of them should have never been sent. So starting the process at the source and eliminating them sending things until it passes on the spectro, in my opinion, is the absolute right thing to do. Yeah, I, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't ask you to come here for our first interview just because I agreed with you, but I agree with you. Um, <laughs> because I think that digital and physical um, have to go hand in hand. One informs the other. Um, and to really have a, a really good process, you use both and use, you know, both to the full extent of, uh, of what, it can, what it can give you. So you, you talked about um, the color standards, people, and I know you know you use color standards. And that's 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 the physical. Is is there is there anything that you would like to see them do better or to do it all that they're not doing now? So with COVID and not having the ability to run down to your store, which is around the corner from our office, um, I think one of one of the big things and and I think, and you and I had a discussion about this uh, right before everything shut down, about can, can, we, can we subscribe to, to your library on an electronic basis so that we, you know, we service multiple brands and multiple retailers. So we're using multiple color standard providers, right? But ultimately, when you have designers in for for internal brands, or we we want a color. I don't care if that color is a Pantone color or a CSI color or a Chroma color or color of color. I want that color, and and as we you know are contained by working at home in this virus, how do my designers who are sitting in New Jersey or in and Brooklyn or wherever they are, have the ability to go, okay, I like this color. I, I can read it or we can read it for them and send it to them. But how do I search that? You know, and, and, and that's kind of, that's kind of the thing. And, and, you know, you can say, well, but everyone's got their international or their, um, not international property, but um, their intellectual property, right? So your colors are your intellectual property. I get that. So there would have to be some type of NDA um, to 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 do that. So I think I think that is a need within the industry um, to help designers get to a point where they're not cutting up. Uh, something that they found in the store, but they're actually going, I like this color. Oh, here it is. I can order color standards now and I can get my ball production done because I can send out colors. Yeah. I think the other, the other thing, um, 
is from from color standard provider standpoint um you know you guys do coated paper you do tcx you do plastic you you know you do a lot of different things i work for a swimwear company so we deal with polyester and we deal with nylon and so what i see lacking in the industry are you know nylon color standards and polyester color standards and and not that they're not out there but they're not out there in a in a large volume so that being very selfish to to my business and to active activewear mm-hmm. i would say that that would be something that i think really needs to be addressed in the future It sounds like there. I mean, it feels like people are making moves in that direction. Yeah, it's it's, it's out there, but it's very small. Yeah, you know, I think there's there is an opportunity. I mean, you know, sportswear, outerwear, swimwear, activewear. That's a big segment of of the apparel industry. Yeah, yeah, and not just apparel, but you know, home, camping, outdoors. Do you do you see the overall quality of color improving over over where it was ten years ago, twenty years ago? I do. Um, I think I think a lot of that has to do with the the not really the technology. I mean, technology has been the same, but but um, the color management systems have been, have been upgraded. The education part of educating the mills educating the fabric suppliers that no, you have, you have to send in electronic color. This is before you send in physical. So I think that education over the last 10 years has helped. Um, I think, you know, when, when you think about Pacific textiles, I'm dating myself now, but 30 years ago, you know, it was, it was one tower and, and a five mile dirt road with, or gravel road with potholes. Right. (laughs) I mean, that van bounced and bumped along that road and you were happy to get out. And today it's multi-towers, it's paved, it's, it's a beautiful facility. So I think as, as the mills have, have grown and reinvested in their company and reinvested in technology, things have gotten better. Um, but I think the use of, of the Spectros and the color, um, color matching software the uh, color formulation software, um, and you know, add into that now uh, sustainable uh, dye stuffs because everyone wants to be sustainable, um, and we don't want to hurt the environment. So I think I think you know, over the last twenty years, it's probably gotten a whole lot better. The issue you have now again, just speaking from my own experience, is you have a lot of younger um, people running and owning dye houses in Asia. So they're not the Pacific textiles or the fountain sets or a small small dye house that's doing a good job. They've got the right light box. They've got the color formulation software. They have the dispensing systems. But they don't necessarily have the experience of a fountain set or a, you know, uh, a, 
uh, Pacific textiles or Swiss tech. Um, so I think, you know, it's kind of a balance. And then you also have to have a certain price point. Sure. So it's, you know, it's, it's like everything else. Can you give me a dye formulation that can match my color exactly? Yes. But you can't afford it. So then, you know, they look at, <laughs> they look at the third or fourth one down, which is much cheaper. And then you have to balance out, am I going to uh, hit my uh, specifications? Am I going to pass all my color fastest testing? Am I, you know, so it's, it's a balance. And I think, I think that's what I've been seeing, you know, since I start, started going to China 25 years ago. That, yeah, there has been, there has been an improvement shift. But I think as these new guys start coming in, it's almost relearning again for them to gain that experience. Right, right. Because your big guys like Fountain Set and whatnot um, have been have gone through probably accreditations and whatnot and, and education of, of how to how to do it right. Um, I didn't realize that there were so many young uh, people getting into into the business. Try and talk me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they're proud of where they grew up. They they want to establish a business in, you know, in their village or in their province where they grew up. And, you know, I've I've seen a lot of good ones and I've seen a lot of bad ones. And I think one of one of the things that I would say is is a best practice is if you're doing this from home because we can't travel anymore, um so ask for pictures ask for mill profiles and and not necessarily the the nice magazine that shows all the bells and whistles right. but a mill evaluation that says do you have the correct light box do you have the correct light source do you have a color formulation software do you have a dispensing system do you have an internal testing lab because although you might match my color it's going to bleed so it's it's those things to kind of evaluate where do you want to put your business? And who are your other customers? Who are your, your other brands and your other retailers that you service? Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I, I know you have a light box, but, you know, how many sweaters do you have piled in it? Show <laughs> <laughs> me a picture. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, in, in, our, in the last talk, we had that panel discussion, and one question came up, and I don't know if we fully explored it, but I'll ask you is, is about sustainability. You know, it was such a big thing uh, in the last year or two. And, and um, I'm wondering if that pandemic is going to push that aside. Are people just going to be happy to be back at work and get, you know, goods out the door? Um, will sustainability stay with us? Will it sustain? I think it will sustain. Um, I think the brands and retailers have gone down this path and, they're not they're not willing to to veer um you know when you when you look at and think about it you know yarns produced months and months and months in advance based upon um what the predictions are of the volume right so even though this hit in january think about all the recycled product that was already in the warehouse waiting to be knit for this year yeah yeah. Um, then you you look at pricing. You know, 
okay, so nylon and polyester are, are their pricing is converging on oil pricing, right? And we saw a huge dip in, in uh, uh, petroleum yeah. pricing. It was negative at one point. Right. So I think, I think the cost of doing sustainability is leveling out, um, you know, recycled, recycled versus virgin. Yeah, recycled is higher. But I also think that when, when you look at, okay, I have these two products. This is where you were with this product. I can give you this product now, which is recycled. And what do you want to do? Because they're almost at the same cost. And what's, what's better for your business? Is your consumer really going to know? Um, so, and that's a merchandising decision, and that's uh, hitting your sustainability goal decision. Mm-hmm. But is it right for that product? Is it not right for that product? And, and that's where we follow the, the instruction that our brands and our retailers give us. Yeah. So uh, as, as a whole, and that's interesting, I really, to look at it from a price standpoint, it's true. As a whole, do you th- are there areas where the whole color management industry is really lacking? You see that they should be going in a, in a, in a direction that they're not. <laughs> Boy, that's a loaded question, Mitch. I don't want to ask any loaded questions. You can forget it. <laughs> um, you know, we've been doing it the same way for the last 50 years. You know, you get a lab dip, you send the lab dip in, it gets approved, you go to bulk. Are there better ways of doing it? Yeah, I think there are. But again, this goes back to the discussion that we've already had, which is if you go strictly electronic and not visual, you're going to miss a lot. And you're going to miss a lot, not just because the color may be off, but you're talking about a flat, a flat standard versus a, you know, a textured, um, a textured lab dip. So, you know, even spectrally, you're not going to get the same reading. We used to do a, we used to do an experiment where I worked, where we had four swatches um, on the board and one was, one was uh, a rib, one was a Jersey, one was um, a Santoni. And one was a, a woven, a stretch polyester woven. And we copied and pasted the QTX file onto all four images. And they all looked the same because we put the QTX file on them. But in actuality, and it showed a delta E of 0.0, but in actuality, they weren't the same because the reflectance once you dye them and then read the reflectance, the reflectance is going to be different because the structures of the fabrics are different. Right. So then you think about our business or intimate apparel business where you've got a lace and you have a trico and you have an elastic and you have wire channel and you have straps and you have rings and slides all different. So from an electronic standpoint, because you have so many different substrates and so so many different surfaces, even if everything said, yes, that's a great match, and you put it in a light box all put together in the garment, you go, oh, this is not good at all. I can't sell this. 
So I think until something comes along where you can take multiple, multiple substrates and multiple fabrications and be able to read them in such a way that it takes or it um, enhances the ability to look at the structural differences, I think we're kind of stuck with the way we're doing it right now. I think if you're doing 100% cotton woven um, and that's your business and you do millions and millions and millions of yards of that every year, then yeah, I think, I think electronic can work. But I think it's product specific. Right. Yeah. And I think that's like where X-Rite was trying to get towards with, with hey, we worked so many years on, on getting the color, but what about the appearance? What about the texture? What is it, you know, there, um, what does that add to it? And they have some great technology, but very expensive yet. You know, it's, it, has, it has many years. Going back to your small and medium-sized company, you know, yeah. Uh, so, you know, a light box is not that expensive, right? Color standards aren't that expensive. No. Um, a, a 100 hue Munsell test is not that expensive. But again, you know, it goes back to what are the best practices of the people looking at color within your organization? Do you do, do, you do 100 hue testing, you know, twice a year? Are the people that are looking at, at your submits can they pass perception testing? Are they colorblind? I mean, all these things, and you think, oh my gosh, you know, of course we do that. You'd be surprised. Um, I've walked in to places before and the person was colorblind. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I've, I've walked into a mill and I pulled down the diffuser plate on the SF QC or Spectralite 3. And I checked the bulbs. What they were calling uh, U35 was not U35. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's just those, you, you have to take the time to, to go in and, you know, and because I can't be there now, I say, pull the diffuser plate now and take a picture of your light bulbs in the, in the specific uh, order that they're in. And again, you can you can gain knowledge from that, and you can correct stuff, even as simply as taking a digital uh, photo of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna change gears on you now and ask you, how did you get into this business? <laughs> by, by mistake. Um, <laughs> so we all say that. I grew up in North Carolina, so you were either in the textile industry or the tobacco industry, right? My dad wanted me to be an engineer because I could take stuff apart, fix it, and I, so I was very mechanically inclined. Um, when I applied to NC State, the engineering school was full, but the textile school wasn't, and there was only one class different um, in each semester. So I thought, you know, I can, I can catch up. I'll go to the textile school, get my grades up and, and uh, transfer. And basically what happened was because textiles are so mechanical, you know, you, you, Dr. Peter Lord, yarn, yarn formation class, he talked about it. And then he took us upstairs on third floor of Nelson to a spinning frame and it, it just came together. It made sense. Oh, that's the drafting. Oh, that's the traveler. This is how we put. And once I clicked, it was like, 
I'm staying in this. So I did that for two years. My parents begged me to get out. I said, no, I'm staying in textiles. And then I was fortunate enough to have a summer internship with Sibagagi um, in Greensboro. And I worked in the cold pad batch lab. And after that summer, I was so enthralled with the dyeing and finishing side of textiles. I, I couldn't switch my major, but all my electives went into textile chemistry. I mean, I took organic chemistry as, as an elective because I wanted to take the <laughs> finishing classes. I know it was crazy. I took it a few times. <laughs> but so, so I, I graduated with a degree in textile science, concentration in, in textile chemistry. I uh, went to make yarn for Burlington Industries for four, year, four years. So I, I learned a lot about making yarn. I uh, left North Carolina, came to Arkansas the first time and uh, worked for a, a men's shirting manufacturing company. They were the largest private label shirt manufacturer in the country at the time, um, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, did that for five years. I was their piece of goods coordinator, so I'd be going back to the mills and, and you know talking about shading issues and, and all the problems that, that we would have. As things started uh, going to Asia, and we would get slower and slower, and you know, we'd lay off people on Wednesdays, and uh, the writing was on the wall that you know the business was going to change. I got a call from um, a friend in one of the mills and said, hey, Victoria's Secret's looking for a fabric technologist. Are you interested? So of course I said yes, and um, ended up joining uh, Victoria's Secret in '96, and and it was the heyday of Victoria's Secret. So I went in as a fabric technologist, and so we had fabric working and we had color working, and they were totally separate. So I had two colorists in a in a room doing color. And I had fabric people doing fabric. And what we realized was the colors didn't know what the garment looked like. And therefore, they were just matching lab dips to color standards. And they didn't know that, oh, well, this lace went with this tricot, went with this elastic. So we were having issues really making nice-looking garments. So we restructured and we, we basically made everyone textile technologists, right? <laughs> So they had responsibility not only for the fabrics, but also for the color. And so that corrected our issue and our garments looked really nice. And, and that was that. After about seven and a half years in Columbus, um, my wife got homesick. It was, if you've ever lived in Columbus, it's kind of gray, eight months out of the year. Uh, you really can't get in the swimming pool until August because of the water's still cold. And, you know, I felt like it was time for a change. So and there was an opening at Walmart International for a fabric manager. So um, we moved to Northwest Arkansas. So about three hours west of where we had lived before. And I worked with Walmart as um, that and international and then director of fabric and color at Walmart USA. And then I got an opportunity to leave Walmart and basically start my own business as um, a consultant to suppliers to, to Walmart. Hence, that's kind of how I met in Motion Group um, 15 years ago. Hmm. But um, so that went well until about 2010. Uh, and then, you know, with 
the 08 to 2010 kind of financial crisis. Uh, people weren't hiring consultants anymore. So I ended up going, um, an old boss from Victoria's Secret said, are you still consulting? And I said, well, yeah. He said, well, I need you for three months down in Southwest Florida at Chico's. So for three months, I was back and forth. And, and basically, after my contract was up, they said, we'd like for you to stay. Well, economy was still not great. Um, it was a nice, stable opportunity for me. So for five years, five and a half years, I commuted every other weekend back and forth um, from Chico's to in Southwest Florida and Northwest Arkansas. And then after five years, I was ready to come home. Um, the, just the commute and being away from family was taxing in itself. Loved the company, um, but needed to get home and join Consumer Testing Laboratories, um, who do the color management for Walmart. And we, we put in some really good systems. We put in RFID um, and login so we could track all of our submissions because a lot of times if you failed them before you could get them back into the filing station, the supplier was asking for a color review. So that made it very easy for us to track that and make that happen. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. So that was fun and it was all good. But one of, one of the things I love to do is get into the mills. Um, I've always been, I want to go see the die house. I'm going to go see the knitter, the printer, because that's where you can, you can truly understand where the problems are and how to fix them. And so I was ready for a change and uh, in motion just happened to be looking for somebody. So the timing was right. And so for the last two years, uh, I've been working at in motion trying to improve our procedures and our processes and uh, make sure that all our regional offices, our mills, our printers, have the correct number of color standards that they need. I still have to say, don't cut my color standards. Um, but I can tell you one of the big things that, that we did and I will continue to tout is you have to buy enough color standards to service your business. So when I, when I got to Emotion, I think we were probably sending three color standards per regional office and now we're sending eight. So you know what happened to the three that were being sent. They were being cut up into one by right. um, But we've updated our spectros. We've updated our software. We are, you know, we are maintaining electronic color um, with all our regional offices. And so it's, it takes a long time. You, know, you take two steps forward, one step back. Um, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's a slow process. Um, inspect what you expect as John Darcy has told me year after year because that's truly what you what you find where your issues are and it could be as simple as oh this is supposed to be CWF and you're using U30 or U35 and so it's the hands-on approach it's uh, you know for the people using Spectralite threes or Spectralite QCs, you pull down the diffuser plate, take your hand and wipe wipe it over the front of it. If it comes back black, guess what? That's not a great source. 
So you know, your mills have to wipe that down at least once a month. And if it's a if it's a really dirty place, once a week. Otherwise, you're not getting the the correct light source into your sample. Yeah, well, so, so basic. So answering your question, that's how I got into the industry. It was it was completely by mistake, but it was a love and a passion for seeking new things, seeking new technology, and totally understanding from ground up why we're having issues that we're having. That's cool. That's great. So what could what could you tell um, the, the listening and viewing audience that they would, they would be surprised to learn about Andrew Frazier? <laughs> um, <laughs> the ones that you could talk about, it's still a family thing. <laughs> uh, I was born in England. Um, I only you were born came, in England? Yes. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I only became a United States citizen after my son was born. So uh, that qualifies. Yeah. So that's something unique and different. <laughs> Let me. So I'm, I'm looking at Facebook now, and there's a question here from Betsy Allen. We all know Betsy. Um, she also says, "Hey, Andrew." But with less customers being in stores, won't more customers expect less perfection in outfitting slash color matching? Uh, also known as, do you think our tolerances should expand? I don't. I think I. So, Betsy, I think you and I have had this conversation before. When I was at Chico's, I set our Delta E tolerance at zero point eight zero, and everyone thought I was crazy because it's tight. It's tighter than the industry average. However, what I was tending to see was if I asked for a one, I'd get a 1.2 to a 1.5. If I asked for a 0.8, I'd get a one to a 1.2. So just because we're in this situation, our standards shouldn't change. Our expectations shouldn't change. And, you know, the mills have to do a better job. And they can do a better job. But if we all say, oh, that's okay, we'll take it this time, then it just, it's a downhill slope. So um, our uh, theory is we are going to maintain our spectral tolerances. We're going to maintain our expectations. And if it's not right, we're not going to send it in. Uh, there's one other comment, not a question, but a comment uh, from um, Minnie Salili uh, from Outer Stuff. And she says, thank you, Mr. Frazier, for sharing your valuable knowledge. So I, 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 I second that. And I really thank you, Andrew. It was very interesting and uh, really informative. And, uh, as always, I, I always get a lot of uh, talking to you. So appreciate it. I appreciate that. If I can um, just say one thing, Mitch. Absolutely. Um, So I'm a member of AATCC Education Advisory Board and um, right now chair of RA36. And A-Square typically does color color management conferences on a yearly basis. We've elected not to do that this year um, because of travel, trying to figure out how how to, to run that conference. But there are going to be color management um, seminars and talks, webinars. So just kind of to, to, for those that are listening, um, if you're an A-squared member, uh, get on the website and, and check out some of the stuff that, that they're reissuing. 
uh, because it's good best practices, general knowledge. Um, if you have new people coming in and, you know, it's a way to at least get them the basic training uh, and start that conversation of asking these questions that they may have um, just as an additional resource um, while we're locked down like this. Yeah, they are valuable. I've learned a lot over the years. Uh, I used to make sure that uh, people who work for me uh, also went uh, to those management workshops, color management workshops. So they're definitely valuable. Andrew, that's thanks a lot. I really appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate you having me. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Be well. And be well. Thanks, everybody.